I heard this story of a frog who wanted to find out a little bit about the future. And so he called the psychic hotline and he got a hold of this psychic and the psychic had good news for this frog. Well, or so it seemed. He discovered that he would soon meet a beautiful young woman. And so the frog, upon discovering this, just had question after question for the psychic. What's she going to look like? So the psychic told the frog, oh, she's going to look like this and this and this. And his heart was beating so fast. And, and he said, well, when? When am I going to meet her? And the psychic told him, you're going to meet her uh, sometime next week. And so he was excited. This is going to happen soon. And, and then he said, well, where? Where am I going to meet her? And the psychic hesitated a bit. And he said, well, you're going to meet this beautiful young woman in her college biology lab class. <laughs> well... Sometimes it's better not to know the future. Um, This morning, we are going to think together about the future. And we're going to think about whether or not life is just sort of all up in the air or if there's a certain future ahead. We'll think about these questions together as we conclude our study of the book of Haggai. We'll be in Haggai chapter 2, beginning in verse 20. And if you've got a pew Bible, you can turn to page 840. Otherwise, you may want to check the table of contents to find Haggai. It's one of those small books, kind of hard to find. Haggai, this book contains the messages of the prophet Haggai to the people of Israel. And understanding a bit of what's happening in Israel's history is critical for grasping the meaning of this book. Uh, You'll remember... God had called Abraham and he said to Abraham, I am going to bless you and through your family, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. And he said, I'm going to give you a land, a special land. And eventually God did give Abraham's descendants the promised land and the nation of Israel was born. Well, King David was one of the kings and later King David's son Solomon was one of the kings. We'll talk more about King David in a bit, but King Solomon led the nation in building a beautiful temple. It was a time of flourishing in Israel's history. They were, it, it was just a great time in, in the nation's history. Well, this temple was an amazing place. It was the place where the people went to meet God, to worship God. In fact, the temple, the temple symbolized the presence of God among his people. Well, God's people had rebelled against him. They had rebelled against him and Time after time, he had called them to repent and to turn, but they wouldn't repent. They, they were stubborn and hard-headed in their sin. And so God sent his prophets, and still the people continued on, ignoring what God said, and eventually God brought judgment upon his people. He raised up the empire of Babylon, led by King Nebuchadnezzar. And King Nebuchadnezzar came to Judah, and he wiped Judah out, went into Jerusalem and destroyed the walls of the city. The temple was ransacked destroyed, and many of the people, most of the people, were taken into captivity in Babylon. It was a terrible time in the nation's history. This was 586 B.C. Well, some years later, God would raise up a new empire to actually bring judgment upon the, the, the wicked kingdom of Babylon. He would raise up the Medo-Persians, led by King Cyrus, and in 539 B.C., Babylon fell to the Medo-Persian empire. And King Cyrus permitted the Jews to return to their homeland. And so many of the Jews left Babylon and went back to Judah. 
And at that time, in 538 BC, they began rebuilding the temple. But soon after they started this project of rebuilding the temple, they faced opposition from from their neighbors, and they just gave up. And the book of Haggai confronts the the nation of Israel about their lack of regard for, for the temple or God's presence in their midst. And in Haggai 1, he said to the people, look, you've got your great houses. You've built your own houses. You've built your own lives. But the temple lies in ruins. You need to to pay attention to this. You're you're heading in the wrong direction. Your priorities are wrong. So the people heeded what God had to say. That they started rebuilding the temple. And God confronted them about their sin. And then he told them, if you will obey me, you will experience blessing that you can't imagine. You'll experience such abundance. Let's pick up there in Haggai chapter 2 beginning in verse 20. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah. I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and destroy the power of the Gentile kingdoms. I will overturn chariots and their riders, horses and their riders will fall, each by his brother's sword. On that day, this is the declaration of the Lord of armies. I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, my servant. This is the Lord's declaration. And make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. So God gave the prophet Haggai another message for the people. In fact, this message was specifically for Zerubbabel. It's December 18th, 520 BC. This is the second message that God has given Haggai on that particular day. You can see uh, the, the first message in the verses just prior. In this previous message, God had said to the people, you follow in obedience and you're going to have my richest blessing. Well, what does God promise here in this passage? Let's take a closer look in verse 21. Remember, Zerubbabel is the governor of Judah. He's the leader of the people. He's responsible for, for taking care of the civil affairs uh, of the people. Now, about 500 years before, God had made a promise to King David. And this is the promise. 2 Samuel seven sixteen says this, Your house and kingdom will endure before me forever, and your throne will be established forever. So God told King David, You and your descendants are going to rule in Judah forever and ever. Well, Zerubbabel is a descendant of David. And God has a message for Zerubbabel as David's descendant. God promises Zerubbabel that he will shake the heavens and the earth. Now, if this sounds familiar to you, it should. Because back in verses 6 through 9, God used the same kind of words. He said, I'm going to shake the nations. I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. But this was in regards to the temple being rebuilt. He said, I'm going to provide for for the temple from among the nations. I'm going to shake the nations and they're going to to meet all your needs when it comes to to, to rebuilding the temple. But here, as we look at this passage, it's clear that God is looking far beyond the completion of the temple in Zerubbabel's day. Now, God is looking to the end of time. And he's saying, when the end comes, I am going to shake the nations. I'm going to judge the nations of this world. The day is coming when all of the kingdoms of this world, all the people of this world will face God as judge. Now, it may have seemed to Zerubbabel and the other Jews as if God had almost sort of let things get out of control. I mean, think about it. They had been this great nation, this powerful nation, 
And at this point in their history, they had nearly been wiped completely out. It may well be that they had begun to wonder, God, what is your plan? Maybe they were beginning to doubt God. But here, God gives a clear declaration that he is in control. Things are not outside of his hands. Things are not outside of his control. He's going to shake these nations. These worldly powers will answer to him. Now, if Haggai were preaching today, he might have said something like this to the people. Have you ever tried to evade the IRS? And of course, the answer to that is you're not going to do it. And, and he would have said to the people something like this. You have a far better chance of evading the IRS than you do the judgment of God. It will happen. It is inevitable. He makes this even clearer in verse 22. He reiterates this point. He says he's going to overthrow leaders and worldly kingdoms. Now, Judah in her weakened state, couldn't imagine overthrowing any powers. But God says to Judah, I can. Judah may have been weak, but Judah's God was not weak. Judah's God was all-powerful. And if you look at the, the kinds of words here that God uses about his judgment, it's reminiscent of the ways he had worked in the past. He says he's going to overthrow kingdoms and rulers much as he did in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. We see that in Genesis 19 where he just wipes out those rebellious kingdoms. He says he's going to overthrow chariots and their drivers. Well, that's reminiscent of the way that that God worked when he rescued his people from Egypt. Pharaoh's chariots and drivers were, were overthrown in Exodus 15. He says sword will turn against sword. Well, when Gideon led in a battle against the Midianites, The people they were attacking turned against one another. We see that in Judges 7. So God uses familiar terminology. And he's saying to the people, just as I worked in the past to accomplish my purposes, I will work in judgment. The kingdoms of the world may be strong and they may be fierce, but they cannot stand. They will not stand against the sovereign ruler of the universe. He will judge the evil of this world. So God has promised to overturn earthly kingdoms. What else does he promise, Zerubbabel? Let's look in verse 23. In verse 23, God says, on that day. Now, often in scripture, a reference to that day is pointing forward to the day of judgment. And that's what we see here. Notice that he calls Zerubbabel my servant. This is a phrase that's often used to refer to King David. We see that, for example, in 1 Kings 11.34. It's also the prophet Isaiah's Favorite way to refer to the coming Messiah, my servant. And what we see here is there's a connection between King David, Zerubbabel, and Jesus. We'll think more about that together uh, this morning. Now remember back when God's people had rebelled against him and he raised up the nation of Babylon. Well, when Babylon came, they, they destroyed, as we mentioned earlier, Judah. And it seemed to the Jews that the rule of of David was over in Judah. There was no ruler in the line of David ruling in Judah, and yet God had made a promise that there would be a ruler in the line of David forever and ever. Now here in verse 23, notice that God makes a promise to Zerubbabel. He says, you're going to be like a signet ring to me. Now what was a signet ring? What's God mean here? Well, a signet ring was a symbol of authority. It usually had the the king's uh, seal on it, and it was used to endorse official documents of the kingdom. And often the king kept the signet ring on his person for for security purposes, to to prevent fraud, to prevent theft. 
And so here God tells Zerubbabel, you're going to be like a signet ring. What's God telling Zerubbabel? You're going to be safe with me. You're going to be safe with me. You're going to be kept safe in my care. God's promise that there would be a ruler in the line of David on the throne would be fulfilled. Zerubbabel, you've got nothing to worry about. You're in my hands. You're in my hands. Now, what's interesting about this is the connection with something that God had told Zerubbabel's grandfather, King Jehoiakim. King Jehoiakim had been rebellious against God. This is right before the Jews were taken into exile, right as the Judah was being destroyed. King Jehoiakim had led the people in wickedness and in sin and rebellion against God, and God warned him through the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah 22, 24, God said this, though you were a signet ring on my right hand, I would tear you from it. And in the verses that follow, God tells Jehoiakim that he is going to go into exile. And so God had ripped the Davidic line or the rule of David from Judah because King Jehoiakim had rebelled against God and would not repent. But now here, God restores the rule of David in Judah. He makes this promise again to Zerubbabel. He says, maybe your grandfather was unfaithful and and he lost the, the privilege and the responsibility of walking in the line of David and walking in my plans. But Zerubbabel, this promise is still in effect and it will be fulfilled. Now, often in the Old Testament, prophecy is fulfilled in stages. That is to say, you have a a fulfillment that happens in the current day when when the prophecy is given. And then often there's there's a fulfillment of the prophecy later in time. And that's what we see here with God's uh, teaching to Zerubbabel. You see, Zerubbabel's rule actually points forward to the one who would be coming and ruling in the line of David. It points forward to Jesus' birth. About 500 years later, the Lord Jesus would be born. And he would be the fulfillment of the promise that God had made to David, that there would always be a ruler in the line of David on the throne. We can see that Zerubbabel is Jesus' ancestor. We see that in the genealogies in Matthew 1.12 and in Luke 3.27 where Jesus' genealogies are given. But this promise that God makes to Zerubbabel points even further. It points to a time at the end of time when Christ will return, when he will come again. And at this time, God's righteous rule will be established in the heavens and on the earth. It'll be established in all its fullness. There'll be no more sin. There'll be no more rebellion. There'll be no more competing kingdoms. Instead, God will rule eternally. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth. A perfect heaven, a perfect earth. And God's people can look forward to this righteous and eternal rule. This righteous and eternal rule of King David's descendant, the Lord Jesus himself. You see, God has great plans for Zerubbabel. And God has great plans for Zerubbabel's descendants and ultimately for his people. God has great plans for his people. So what does this passage teach us? Take hope. Take hope as God's good plan will prevail. Take hope. God's good plan will prevail. Haggai gave a hopeful message to the leader, to to Zerubbabel. He said, you may be surrounded by powerful foes. You may face all kinds of obstacles. You may feel weak. You may feel down. But Zerubbabel, 
the promises that I made, they are going to happen. Zerubbabel, I'm with you. You're not alone. You can count on me being faithful to my promises. One day, Zerubbabel, all of this, all of these empires, all of the, the, the hatred toward God, that'll all be overturned because my good plan will prevail. That's what God said. Now, when I was a boy, I used to love to read the books that had the choose your own ending. Do you guys remember those? If you picked this option, then that would happen. Or if you picked a different option, then this would happen. Well, sometimes I would read one of those and I would pick an ending that resulted in the death of the main character. Well, inevitably, I would decide, I really, that's not the one I'm going to pick. I would go back and and I would pick another ending and, and, and it would work in a different way. Well, things can work that way with a choose-your-own-ending children's fiction book. But, but what about life? Are our lives like this? Are we destined to a grim future because of our bad choices? Or is there hope even in the midst of our sin? Is there hope even in the midst of, of our failures and, and our mistakes? Well, God's message to Haggai was this, there is hope. Even though Israel has fumbled the ball and dropped the ball and walked away from me, I am faithful. So is there hope in the midst of our messes? The answer is yes, yes, yes. That's that's what God says to Haggai. It's what God says to us today. There's hope. If we know Christ, if we're in him, there's hope. God's good plan will prevail. Even in the midst of our failures, in the midst of our sin. So let's reflect on how these verses shape our lives. Well, first, as you seek to follow Christ, don't lose heart. As you seek to follow Christ, don't lose heart. Sometimes when we follow God, we find that it's a real struggle. We face opposition. We face hardship. Not only that, we face the the challenge of our own sin. Our own sin trying to, to pull us away from God. You face suffering, the suffering that's inevitable in a sin-stained world. And it's easy to begin to wonder, what's the point? What's the point of trying to walk with God? There's so much challenge, there's so much difficulty, there's so much that's disheartening. But in the midst of all this, God's promise to Haggai reminds us that God will not leave his people alone. He will not. Hebrews 13.5, in this passage, God reminds his people of a promise that he had made before. I will never leave you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. It's a promise that he made. Zerubbabel could count on the promises of God. And if you are in Christ, so can you. He'll never leave you. Next, live with joy in light of God's promises. Live with joy in light of God's promises. Surely Zerubbabel must have been delighted to hear these words. Encouraged by the promises of God. And we are to be encouraged by his promises too. Yes, this world has a lot of suffering. This world is filled with sin. We know that all too well. But a day is coming when that will all be over and God will upend the satanic and sinful powers that be and all of the pain and the suffering of this world, it will end. 
all the sinful enticements and traps that Satan pulls to lure us away, they'll come collapsing down. And the king of kings, he will rule and he will reign. Now listen to these words that describe this glorious day. Revelation 21, 4 and 5. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more. Because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. He also said, Write, because these words are faithful and true. So what is the message that Haggai has for us today? It's have hope. Have hope. Life can be tiring. It can be downright awful at times. It can be excruciating, demoralizing, dreadful. It can be those things. We we know that. But in the dark days of this life, in the days that are so bleak, we must remember that one day, one day the sun is going to shine. And it's going to shine brighter than it's ever shown. You see, the people in Haggai's day could look forward to a future filled with joy. And so can we if we belong to God. Oh, the sun will shine. If you're in the midst of a hard time, the sun's going to shine again. There's hope. There's ultimate hope. Next, these promises belong only to those who belong to the kingdom of God. These promises belong only to those who belong to the kingdom of God. In other words, those who know the Lord Jesus. 1 John 5, 11 and 12 says, says this, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. So how can you know Jesus? Will you turn to him in faith? Turn away from living life your own way and call out to him and say, please forgive me. I want to know you, Jesus. I want to follow you. I I believe you died and rose again, God. I'm in. I'm with you. And when you call out to Jesus in faith like that, you put your faith in him, the Bible tells us that he saves you, that he gives you life. He gives you eternal life. And the promises that we see here, they're yours. They're yours when you turn to Christ in faith. These promises are for all who belong to him, who know him. A recent summit between North Korea and South Korea resulted, uh, among other things, in an agreement to permit a three-day family reunion. You see, there are families who, in the midst of the war there, were separated. As As the chaos of war ensued, the battle ended, they found themselves on opposite sides of the border. And all of this time, these families were not permitted any kind of contact or communication, no telephone calls, no emails, no FaceTime, no letters, no contact at all. Well, this past Monday, there was a, a dear lady, 92 years old, Miss Lee Jumsum, who participated in this family reunion. She got to see her boy who was 71 for the first time in 60 years. Can you imagine making eye contact with your mom with your mom or with your boy after having not seen them for 60 years? She wrapped her arms around that boy and she hugged him. Can you imagine what feeling that must have been? The thrill of that moment. Friends, that's just a picture. That's a glimpse of what's ahead. You see, this world is a little bit like the North Korea, South Korea thing. There's there's just turmoil and there's trouble. 
But one day, a reunion's coming for all who are in Christ. And it's a reunion that won't last three days, friends. It's a reunion that will last for all eternity. And it will be filled with thrill and joy. Yes, eternal thrill. Eternal joy. Brothers and sisters, take hope. God's good plan, his good plan will prevail. Now, if you're a a believer here today, I want to encourage you. Maybe maybe you're facing some, some tough times. Maybe you're hurting. Maybe it's economic situations, relationship situations, family situations, guilt, shame from, from your own sin, your own mistakes. Is there hope today? Friend, you take hope. The Bible says take hope. Don't you lose heart. You keep going. You keep moving ahead in Christ. There's hope. For those of you who are here and who are not yet believers, understand that that coming to church doesn't make you a believer. Understand that participating in a religious ritual like being baptized or coming to the front at the, the end of a service or going through catechism, understand that none of those things make you a member of the kingdom of God. They don't do it. What makes you a member of God's kingdom? It's only when you turn to the Lord Jesus in faith and when you say to him, God, I got nothing to offer, but I'm coming to you on the basis of what your son did on the cross. And if you come to God that way, you know what? God will will grab a hold of you and he'll hold you close and he'll never let you go. For all eternity, you will belong to him. If you've never turned to him, if you've never become a part of his kingdom today, why not today? Why wouldn't you come and and be a part and, and have a part in this wonderful promises that we've looked at this morning? Why would you reject that? Why would you turn away from Christ, the one who loved you so and gave his life that you might live? Why would you reject these promises? If you're here and you've never trusted Christ, in just a moment, we'll stand and sing. And when we do, I want to invite you to come forward. I'll be here. Ralph Huerta will be here. And we would love to tell you more about how you can know Jesus. We would love to talk to you about how you can become a part of God's kingdom. So in just a moment, when we sing, if, if you've got questions, please, we, we want to visit with you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.